Jesus in my school. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. As you sit down tonight, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one off of that back table. There's a whole bunch of blue ones back there. Um, if you're here tonight and you don't have a Bible at all, grab one of those. Take it with you when you leave tonight. That's what they're for. So we're going to keep going. Does anybody remember what we were talking about two weeks ago? What book have we been studying? Colossians. That's right. And what I ask you guys every week, if, if I'm going to ask some questions for some of you, maybe may your first night or maybe your second time you've been here. You don't necessarily know the answer to these, to these questions yet, and that's okay. But when we study Scripture, we always want to study Scripture, what we call in context. We want to know what's happening, when it was written, who wrote it, why they wrote it, who they wrote it to, because that matters for us just as much as it mattered back when this was written. So let me ask you those questions. Colossians, this book, who wrote it? Paul, where do we believe Paul was when he wrote it? Remember, I make up those statistics every week, but pretty good chance if you say in prison when someone says, where was Paul when he wrote it? You're probably going to get it right because he wrote a lot of letters from prison because, I mean, that's what he did. He went around and he told people about Jesus. He shared the gospel and it got him in trouble a lot. It got him thrown in prison a lot. So who did he write it to? That, that's why it's called Colossians. It's to that church and what are the two main things that he wrote it for? Why did he write it to them? To warn them and to encourage them. To encourage them in their walk with Jesus. Encourage them in their faith. And to warn them. Because what we understand as we go through the book is that there appears to have been some people who were coming into the church and who were teaching Jesus alongside of other beliefs that didn't line up with Scripture. So he's warning them, hey, you all need to make sure that the things that you're practicing, the things that you're doing and saying are from God, are actually from the Word of God and what God's Word says. And if you remember, a couple weeks ago, we went through verses, uh, we were in chapter 2, verses 9 through 15, and the two words that kept popping up in that passage over and over were the words, in Him. And what Paul did is Paul stepped through this idea that if you have come to a point where you realize that you're a sinner, and if you're not sure what that means, that means that, that you do things in your life that dishonor God. And, and we all do that. I mean, we're all guilty of that, aren't we? We've, we've all told lies. We've all been angry at people. We've all hit somebody. Maybe it's just a brother or sister in anger. We've done things. We've thought things that we know we shouldn't have thought. Those are things that are disobedience to God's word and who he calls us to be. And the problem is, as good as we try to be over and over, we try to do the right thing, we always go back to doing the wrong thing at some point, don't we? I, I know I, I fail at that almost every day. We all do because we're sinners. And we can't fix that problem. And that's why Scripture tells us, and what Paul has helped these believers understand, that's why Jesus gave his life on the cross. So that we could be forgiven of our sin because we can't fix our sin problem. And sin requires a sacrifice. That's what God tells us. So God sent Jesus to pay that price for us, that penalty for us. He took the penalty of death, which is what Scripture says is owed for our sins. And on that cross, he gave up his life. And then he was buried in a tomb, and three days later, he rose from that tomb. Unlike any other religion that you will ever hear about, any other God that you will ever hear about, their people died, and they're still in this tomb. Jesus rose from the tomb, and he beat death, and he beat sin. And when we understand that, when we believe that, and confess, God, I'm a sinner and I can't forgive myself. I need you to forgive me through Jesus. And I want to follow him with the rest of my life and do this thing called being a disciple of Jesus. Scripture tells us in that moment, you move from death to 
those couple of verses there. In fact, he goes back and he says the record of their debts and of their sins. It says that Jesus took it and nailed it to the cross with himself. It's done. It's paid for. We don't owe that debt anymore. He took the payment himself for you. So tonight as we get into this next couple of verses and we finish out chapter 2, Paul goes back to that same idea. But now he's saying if you're in him, if you are living this life, then there's some things you need to be aware of. And the three things that we see tonight, he says, he says, if you're in him, if you're in Jesus, don't let anybody judge you. And we're going to see, he gives qualifications for that. He also says, don't let anybody disqualify you. And then he says, if you're in him, why aren't you living like him? And those are very important questions that we need to ask ourselves today. Because all of that, just as it applied to them so many years ago, that matters for our lives today. So we're going to do what we do every single week. I'm going to ask you in the honor of uh, honor of the reading of God's word, if you would stand. And we've got Miss Kate Dingman coming up here, and she's going to read our passage for us tonight. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. You can use this microphone right here. judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on incisorism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died in the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom and promoting self-made religion and accessorism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Father, thank you. We thank you for the opportunity that you give us to be here again tonight, Lord. Thank you that we can spend time reading your word, Lord, that we can understand it, we can know what it means, not just for when it was written, but that group of people to us, how that applies to us. And I pray that that is exactly what we'll see as we walk through this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, go ahead and have a seat. Thank you, Miss Kate, for coming up here and reading for us this evening. So it starts off right there. Very first sentence, verses 16 and 17. Paul is saying, if you are in him, he's going back to those verses that he talked about before. He's saying, don't let anyone judge you. Let me read those two verses for you again. It says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now, let's let's just real quick survey, show of hands. Who in here likes to know that someone is judging them? You like to know that, okay. Who in here has been guilty of judging someone else? Yeah, we all have. I mean, the fact is, we, we don't like to be judged, but sometimes we fail and, and we very quickly judge other people. And the sad part is, a lot of times that happens in church. 
we start to believe that we are closer to God maybe than somebody else, and we start to judge who they are and what they do, and, and yet that seems to be what's going on here. But, but what he does here, Paul gives some qualifications as to what these people are being judged on. These false teachers, they're coming in. He talks about a couple things. He says that they're being judged on what they're eating, what they're drinking, and then he talks about some specific religious issues like feasts and new moons and Sabbath. And what it looks like here is that these false teachers that are coming into the church, they're, they're not just talking about Jesus, they're also talking about some other beliefs and rituals that Scripture doesn't necessarily line out anymore. Now, some of that is Old Testament stuff. That's Old Testament, what we call Old Testament Judaism. Those were rules and laws and regulations that God's people in the Old Testament, those are the things that he gave to them so that they could worship God, so that they could be forgiven of their sins, so that they could know who God was. But then Jesus stepped onto the scene. And when Jesus stepped onto the scene, Jesus made it so that those things weren't required to follow God anymore. They're not bad things. I mean, he even talks about observing the Sabbath. That's actually one of the Ten Commandments. That's a good thing. But what happens is when those traditions and those old things that don't necessarily point you to Jesus anymore start getting raised up and elevated equal with Jesus or even higher to Jesus, what becomes the problem is we start having habits that are distracting from the relationship. We start making these things more important than the relationship we're supposed to have with Jesus. And what Paul is saying here is, is he's saying, don't worry about these things. They're not bad things. They're good things. But when you start making that the focus and you focus on the habits more than you focus on Jesus, you're getting those things back. He's saying, don't, don't let those people judge you on those things. Don't worry about what they think about those things because that's not the focus you're supposed to have. In fact, he goes on to describe what those are. He talks about the fact that he says right there in verse 17, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So let me ask you this. Think about shadows for a second. There's a couple that are on the chair here and around the room. Are shadows real? Yes, they are. How do you know? Because you can see them, okay? That's a pretty good explanation. But when you look at a shadow, is that the main thing? Any, what's that? Unless you're Peter Pan, but, but even there was a Peter Pan besides his shadow. Yeah, he did his own thing. It was kind of weird. But nine times out of ten, if we're dealing in reality and not Disney science fiction, which is good. I like Peter Pan. We kind of did that as a family theme for Halloween this year. But here's the deal. With a shadow, a shadow simply shows you that there is something else in substance. The shadow's there and it's real, but the shadow's not the main thing. The main thing is what is casting that shadow. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying these things that these people are talking about, these are not bad things, but they're mere shadows that were intended to point you to the main thing, which is Jesus. And he's saying don't get so focused on that that you forget to look at what the main thing is. Because when you forget to look at what the main thing is, now you're distracted from your relationship with God. And now you're more worried about what other people think about how you're doing things to look churchy than you're actually worried about your relationship that puts you where you need to be. That's what Paul's talking about here when he says, don't let people judge you. He's saying these false teachers have no right to judge these believers 
by those standards any longer. He's saying if you're a believer, if you're a disciple of Jesus, don't be judged by those standards. Show people what it looks like to actually follow Christ. Don't worry about those other things. And then he goes on in the next couple verses, in verses 18 and 19, he, he explains if you're in him, if you're in Christ, don't let anyone disqualify you. Don't let anyone condemn you is another way to say that. Look at what it says in these two verses. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. So Paul jumps from one false teaching to another false teaching here. And now he's, he's attacking this thing where he's saying, don't let anybody disqualify you. Don't let anybody condemn you. Now, quick quiz. Does anybody know what asceticism is? I'm, I'm glad because I had to look it up too. I wasn't sure. When I first read it, I was like, i got to go see what that word means. What asceticism is, let me give you just an easy definition. It's a kind of a false humility. Okay. He's talking about there about how they're being told they need to worship angels and have these mystical experiences. And the way he's using asceticism here, it's basically saying, I'm not worthy enough to worship God, so I'm going to worship angels instead. And I'm going to have those experiences because I, 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 just, I don't qualify to go to God. It, it's a false humility because the truth is, what Scripture tells us is that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have the ability to go directly to God. Every single time. You don't have to go through other people. You don't have to go through other things. You can go straight to God and talk to Him and hear from Him. And Paul is saying, don't be swayed. Don't see all of this stuff and believe it. These false teachers he talks about here, he said it also, it, it sounded like a, a, a made-up religion, a man-made religion. I'm like, oh my goodness. There are so many man-made religions with certain things that you have to do to be able to get to God, with certain things, rituals, qualifications that you have to go through, and then you can lose your relationship with God, and then you've got to earn it back, and all of these different things that people have made up when that's not what Scripture says. He's saying that these guys that are teaching these things, they're puffed up with pride, without reason, and he even says they're no longer connected to the head of the body. If you remember, one of the things we've talked about in here is the fact that God has put us together, calls us his body. That every single person that's put their faith and trust in Jesus, you are a part of that body and you are a vital part of that body. When someone that God has put in this group is missing from this group, a piece of his body is missing. It's not functioning the way it's supposed to. And Jesus is the head of that body. Everything grows together and grows up together in him and through him. And he's saying that these guys right here, these people that are teaching these false beliefs, they have detached themselves from the head. They're basically a decapitated body that's just walking around telling people what to do. And that's the image that he's using here. He's saying that they've disconnected themselves. And when they disconnect themselves, they're no longer doing what God's called them to do because it's Jesus that as believers connects all of us together. It's the one thing that we all have in common if you put your faith and trust in Jesus. Because we all come from different families. We all come from different backgrounds. We've had different experiences growing up. 
Some good, some bad. We're totally different when we come together. But when we come together, we come together in Christ. And all of a sudden, we have that commonality because we are serving the same God and we are pursuing the same relationship. Paul is saying, don't lose connection with the head of the body, and that is Jesus. He's saying these false teachers, these false believers, they have no place in your relationship with God. And after he's talked about all of these things, he finally asks that question. If you are in him, why aren't you living like this? If you know these things aren't true, if you know that you've been set free, if you know that you've put your faith and your trust in Jesus, and that you're no longer condemned for your sin, and you've been called to live a life that honors God, and you don't have to do all of these things anymore, why aren't you living like this? Look at what he says there, starting in verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? If Jesus has paid the price for all of your sin and you know it's about that relationship, then why are you giving in to all of those other things? Why are you letting people tell you that you've got to do A, B, and C so that you can really have a relationship with God when this is what it says right here, you just have And he goes on in verse 20, and he's quoting. He says, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to the things that all perish as they are used. According to human precepts and teachings. And why are you bothering with those things? Your relationship with Christ is the main focus of your life. And in verse 23, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom. They look good in promoting the self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. He says, these things, these practices, they look good. Everybody that looks at you, you look like a good Christian. And that's awesome. But at the end of the day, if your focus is on doing the right things, it has absolutely no value in your walk with Christ if you're not doing it as a human being. Does that make sense? You can train your body, you can train your mind, you can train your habits to do the right things. And every one of you knows what this looks like. Because at some point in time, your parents have told you to do something that you really didn't want to do. Clean your room, take out the garbage, wash the car, whatever it may be. Clean up after the dog, I don't know. And you've not wanted to do it, but you've done it anyway, right? Now, maybe you've done it with a good attitude. Maybe you haven't. But you've done it even though you didn't want to because it was the right thing to be obedient to your parents, even though your heart and your mind wanted to do anything else but that. That's what Paul's talking about right here. He's saying that when you do these things, he uses that word there. He's, he says the self-promoting, self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. He's saying that all of these practices, they have an appearance of wisdom, they have an appearance of looking good, but at the end of the day, it doesn't have anything to do with your relationship with Jesus. Now, is it possible that they could have done these things because of their relationship with Jesus? Yes, but that's not the teaching that they were receiving in this church. And that's why Paul is warning them against it. Because when you begin a relationship with Jesus, when he forgives you of your sin and you put your faith and trust in him, he does start to change you from the inside out. And as he does, your mind starts to change. 
your attitude starts to change, your outlook starts to change, and you begin, Lord willing, to live a life in obedience to God's Word. And as you live in obedience to God's Word, we do see things in there that God says, hey, this is what you should do. You should love people. You should tell people who I am. Tell people about Jesus. You should read your Bible. You should come before God in prayer. You should do all of these things, but those things are not the habits you're doing to get closer to God. Those things are the habits you're doing because you are already drawing near to God. And He's developing those desires in your life. He's changing you from the inside out. Paul is saying these other people, these false teachers, they are trying to change you from the outside. And that never brings real change. That brings good habits for us. Paul is saying, if you are in him, if you are in Jesus, if you know he has paid the price for your sins, why aren't you living that? Why aren't you letting that relationship guide and change everything about who you are? And that's the question I have for you tonight. We talked about this two weeks ago. I asked you that question. Are you in him? Has there been a time that you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins? Has there been a time that you put your faith and trust in Him? And if the answer for you tonight is yes, are you living that way? Are you pursuing your relationship with Jesus above everything else in your life? And I understand there's a lot of important things in your life right now. School is important, whether you like to admit it or not. Sports, friends, family, there's a lot of incredible incredibly important things and I don't in any way want to downplay any of that but the most important thing in your life if you put your faith and trust in Jesus is that relationship are you living that or are you letting other people tell you you should be doing this you can't be doing that you shouldn't go here you shouldn't do that if you are truly pursuing that relationship with Jesus then he's working those things out in your life already and your life changes forever Will we struggle some days? Yes. Will we fail some days? Yeah, we will. But if you've found freedom in Christ, live in freedom. Live out the most important thing that you say is the number one priority in your life. And when you do that, other people will see it. Other people will hear it. And other people will ask you, God, we do thank you. We thank you, God, that we can come together here, that we can spend time in your presence. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for words that have been written so long ago, but now they, they matter for us today because we see the same things happening. God, I pray for each person in this room tonight, Lord. Help each person, myself included, if we put our faith and our trust in you, if we know we've been forgiven by Jesus, God, to live it out. To not let other people put expectations on our lives except for what your word says. Change us from the inside out, God. So that those habits, those desires are not just routine and things we're trying to do on our own, God, but they're things that you are developing, that you are growing, that you are building in us and in our desires. God, I pray right now if there's anybody in this room who's never. 
holding on to hurt, thinking that, that, that there's no way a good God would let something like that Write it on that note.